Good morning, Christ Central. My name is Karen McNary, and I'm going to be reading from Mark uh, chapter 13, verses 3 through 13. And it reads, And as he sat on the Mount of Olives, opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign when all these things are about to accomplish? And Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginnings of the birth pains. But be on your guard. For they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit." And brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his children. And children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated for all, by all, for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. I get the pleasure of introducing our uh, guest preacher today. I'm Derek Crawford. I'm the executive pastor here, and I've got to know Pastor David over these last two years uh, real well, and it's been a pleasure to get to know him. Uh, he's a great man of God, and if you go on, online to our online bulletin, you can see a bio of, of Pastor David there, and I'm going to give you a quick Look, uh, he's, his family's not here today, but he has a rather large family. But David and, and Celia Uran have been involved in church ministry over the past 20, 12 years in the PCA, having ser- served both as a church plant and a church revitalization. The Urans have a passion for the local church, for helping the hurting through the love of Christ and a multi-ethnic ministry. They have seen firsthand how the gospel can build bridges across, across racial and language barriers through years of involvement with Hispanic communities, both in the Charlotte area and in Mexico. Most recently, the Lord has impressed upon their hearts a desire to take their love for multicultural ministry and move to Northwest Charlotte to begin a new ministry there. David and Celia have six children, six children. Pray for the, that brother and that sister right there. Isaac, Owen, Autumn, Eden. Asher Kai, I hope I said that right, in Upton. As a family, they have a wide variety of interests, including gardening, baking, they better like baking, uh, hiking, art, reading, football, yes, tennis, Lego building, and watching superhero movies. I'll come over and watch some superhero movies with you. Um, one of the big things to note about Pastor David, and y'all probably don't know this, but he's planning a church in West Charlotte, and it's going to be Christ Central Church's granddaughter church. Praise God. So West Charlotte Church is the planting church for Freedom Community 
church. Their desire is to be like Christ Central, to be a multi-ethnic church. They've recently hired, gosh, Reuben, thank you. You know, I'm, I can't be a politician because I can't remember people's names. Uh, but Reuben, um, and I've got to know everything about this church because I'm on the commission of the church, which means until they become particularized and get their own elders, I'm basically an elder and the treasurer of Freedom Community Church. And when Pastor Brown comes off of sabbatical, he'll be back on the commission too. And we advise, help, care, provide everything that that church needs uh, um, and pray for uh, Freedom Community Church. But um, as people talk about ministry and planning churches, when you go to Planning Church 101, one, you're supposed to do it in a well-to-do area. And two, it's supposed to be monoethnic. It's either supposed to be all white or all black. Well, they're planning a multi-ethnic church in an area of need in Charlotte. So it needs all your prayers, all your love, all your support. And, um, yeah, and you're going to be blessed by what this brother has to say to us today. So without further ado, give him a warm Christ Central welcome to Pastor David Uran. Thanks, brother. Christ Central, it's good to be here. Uh, it's an honor. Um, as Brother Derek shared, uh, I'm a grandchild of this church, and I was thinking today some... Oh, I got a little mic difficulty. Give me a second. All right, thanks. Uh, I was thinking a little bit about like what, what it's like to be a grandchild. Um, you think about in your own family life, especially if you got some grandparents that you're proud of, like, that's a cool thing, right? You look back and you think about the legacy that has been built that you get to benefit from, right? You get to look back at grandmother, grandfather, and all that they overcame to give you what you've got. Well, that's how I think of Christ Central. And it's an honor for me. I think about Pastor Howard and how he planted the ground here. He did the heavy lifting. He made this happen, right? And then Christ Central raises up Charles to plant West Charlotte. And now Pastor Charles and Pastor Howard are helping me plant this new church, Freedom Church, in Northwest Charlotte. And just like, uh, just like West Charlotte, just like Christ Central before them, our vision, as Pastor Derek shared, is multi-ethnic ministry. And so we're taking a team approach to ministry, one African-American pastor, one white pastor. Obviously, that's me, the white pastor. And uh, our co-pastor, Reuben, and his family, they're moving from inner city Baltimore. And they're coming this coming Saturday to team up with us to do ministry in the Northwest region. If you want to know where we are, basically think about where the airport is and just go north about five, ten minutes. And that's kind of where we are generally. And, and so uh, I'm, I'm honored to be here. Uh, I'm really thankful for, for all of you guys, your support. Um, and if you are interested in just learning more about what we're doing, um, I'd be happy to tell you more. Obviously, I can be out there in the lobby after the service. I'd love to talk with you. Um, but let me, uh, let me transition into the, the sermon. But before we do, if I can just take a moment to pray, that'd be great. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for the power of your word, the power of your spirit that is with us. Father, we're weak. I'm weak. 
Lord, but you are strong. God, I pray, Holy Spirit, that in my weakness, in our weakness, you would be strong. Father, I pray that the word of God would not remain void, that it would not come back empty, but Lord, as it flows out today, despite my own weakness, Lord, I pray that you would enable us to, to see you, to see your gospel, to be encouraged by your gospel, to be challenged by your gospel, to be reminded who you are, Father. Father, we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, um, so I'm preaching to y'all today out of Mark 13, verses 3 through 13, as our sister just read. Um, <clears throat> the topic, as you, uh, if you were paying attention, is the end times. Now, before I, I dig into this passage, I have a confession to make. I don't like talking about the end times. <laughs> In fact, I hate it. I do. I, and I was thinking about why, because I, I, uh, I saw the topic, you know, Pastor uh, Derek and Pastor Josh passed along the passage, and I saw it, and I just, I cringed, I'll be honest, when I, when I first saw it. Um, and I think the reason is, I grew up in a church that was obsessed <clears throat> with the end times. I grew up in a church, it's probably a little bit of exaggeration to say, we believed in the end times, and we believe in Jesus. <laughs> it's not quite like that, but it's not far off. We were obsessed. I remember in middle school, okay, middle school, y'all, I went in to the Sunday school classroom, and I saw a wall-to-wall chart on the end times, complete with pictures and timelines, telling all kinds of crazy things that were going to happen when and what and how they were going to unfold. And at the time, I thought that was pretty cool. You know, it's kind of like science fiction is cool. You got dragons and swords and horsemen, right? At the time, I thought it was cool, but looking back, I'm a little embarrassed, (laughs) Because our church was so obsessed with the details of the end times that I think they missed the point entirely. When Jesus talks about the end times, his point is not for his followers to be so geeked out on charts and graphs and figuring out what specific dates and what wild things are going to happen. That's not his point. When he talks about the end times, his point is simple be ready. Be ready. If you read Revelation and you're confused, that's okay. If you listen to Jesus' prophecy, that's okay, because the point isn't for you to understand everything. The point is for you to be ready, because Jesus is coming back, (laughs) y'all. So the goal today, right, is not, man, I'm having some trouble with this thing. All right, we're going to get it working. The point is not... For you to grow in your understanding. The point is for you to be changed in your living. Because you know that Jesus is coming back. This this end of days uh, topic, this end of days material in the Bible, it's, it's not helpful for you only if you like science fiction. And I'm not saying it's science fiction, right? This is true. This is real. It's going to happen. But it reads in some ways like science fiction in that it's just kind of out there. It's out of the ordinary of what we're used to. But the topic isn't just good for you if you like that kind of stuff. It's important if you're tired and weary today. It's important for you if you are discouraged or angry today. It's important if you are struggling with some sin or mistake in your life, if you're overwhelmed with the injustice of this world, this passage is important for you. What I want to do today is is focus on three different ways 
that this passage can encourage and challenge us, particularly as we read these passages in light of the gospel. And that is this, you're, you're to be focused, you're to be strong, and you are to be hopeful. Now, one of the things that, that, that uh, we need to understand as we're reading prophecy is we need to remember that when Jesus was speaking these words, they were about 2,000 years ago. And so a lot of times we, we read prophecy about the end times and we, and we sit here wondering in our day and age, I wonder when this will happen. Y'all, it's happening. In fact, many people, many Christians who study the word would say that after Jesus uttered these words, after he died and rose again, from that time forth, we've been living in the end of days. So think about some of these things that we see in Matthew chapter 13, right? Wars, check. Rumors of wars, check. Family strife and betrayal, check. Natural disasters, check. And here's the point, and this is why it can be encouraging. Just getting that fact that we are living in the end of times can be encouraging because as Jesus tells us that at the end of times, life will be hard. And then we look at our lives and we realize life is hard. We shouldn't be surprised. Right? Jesus predicted this. Don't be surprised when you feel pain and injustice and violence today. Jesus predicted it. And that alone can give some comfort, right? Because you're not crazy. When you feel that, you wonder why life is so painful. We're in the end of times. That's why we live in a sinful and broken world and there is injustice. And the good news, and we're going to get to this in a minute, but Jesus will come back. He will. One day, this painful and broken world will go away and hallelujah, paradise will come. Right along with perfect justice and love and mercy and goodness and health and provision. All these things that you and I long for, one day it's coming. So be encouraged. But not yet. Not yet. We're still living in the end of days. So be ready. So be ready. Let's look at uh, the first couple of verses here. Be focused. That's the first point. That's the first thing that as we, as we look at this passage, in the way that Jesus was trying to communicate it in its intent, not trying to, again, have every specific detail lined up so we know when what thing is going to happen before Jesus turns. We're not trying to do an intellectual thing. We're trying to understand what Jesus is trying to communicate so we will be ready. And the first thing, if you want to be ready, you should be focused. Verse 3, as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all of these things are about to be accomplished? Are we going to pause there for a second and just kind of unpack what are the disciples asking and then why does Jesus respond the way he's getting ready to? So you need to understand verses 1 and 2, the disciples were talking with Jesus about the temple and the disciples were bragging about the beauty of the temple. They were walking out of the temple and they were saying to Jesus, hey, look at the beauty of the architecture. Look at the beauty of these stones. Jesus hears them and he stops their bragging. And he tells them, look, brothers, everything that you're so impressed with today is going to be 
destroyed. Verse 2 says, there will not be left here one stone upon another that won't get thrown down. The whole temple is going to be destroyed. Now you have to understand what that meant for the disciples. Because for you and I, like buildings get torn down all the time, right? Not a big deal. But for the disciples, the temple, it was different, right? For, for, for the, the folks living at this time in this area, the temple was the center of life. It was the center of their religion. It was the center of their worldview. And so for the disciples, when Jesus says the temple is going to be destroyed, that triggers in their mind end of days. Well, if the temple's going down, we obviously got to be at the end of days. So Jesus, excuse me, the disciples ask them when the temple is going to be torn down. But implicit in that message, if you want to fact check me, look at Matthew chapter 24, because Matthew elaborates on the motives of the disciples. Matthew chapter 24, the disciples ask him, when is the temple going to be torn down and when are you going to return? So they're asking about the end of days. When is this going to happen? And so Jesus responds with his answer. This is verse 5. Jesus began to say to them, see that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and he will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines, but these are just the beginning of the birth pains. All right, so, so notice the disciples ask Jesus, when? When is the end coming? And Jesus doesn't answer them. Have you ever asked a question and someone just refuses to answer? That's what Jesus is doing here. I'm not going to tell you when these things are going to happen. Instead, he tells them to focus on what really matters. In other words, stay focused. Be focused. He says in verse 5, See that no one leads you astray. Many will say the end is coming. Others will say, I am the end. I'm the Messiah. Jesus says, don't be deceived. Don't be fooled. Stay focused on what you know. Stay focused on what you believe. Don't be deceived or distracted by false teachers. Don't be distracted by world events either. Verse 7. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against Kingdom, there will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. Look, Jesus is talking to disciples. They're interested in the future. And he says, rather than tell you exactly when the end will come, I'm going to tell you what's going to be happening in the future generally so you won't freak out when it happens. For example, wars. Wars are coming. Jesus says, I'm telling you now, disciples, wars are coming. False prophets, false messiahs, common, they're coming. Natural disasters, they're coming. I'm telling you they're coming. And even when they do, it doesn't change anything. It doesn't change anything. Even when these wars and natural disasters, even then, it's not the end of days. He says, you don't know when the end of days is. No one knows when the end of days is. So don't waste your time making ridiculous predictions because no one knows. So, when someone comes along and tells you, look, because of all of these crazy events happening, you need to cower in fear and retreat and forsake the mission I've given you. Do not listen to them. Even when life and world events get crazy, do not forget your mission. 
stay focused. Remember, the disciples, they had a mission, didn't they? To be a beacon of light in a dark world. To be agents of love in a world filled with hate. To be agents of justice in a world of wickedness, injustice, and oppression. To bring the good news of Jesus Christ in a world filled with bad news. This was the mission. The disciples had a mission, and Jesus didn't want them to get distracted by concerns or crazy world events. They had a mission, and they needed to stay focused. Y'all don't know about you, but the last five years have been some of the most distracting years I can ever remember. It's crazy. This world is crazy. This last year and a half, I mean, it's crazy. And I'll be honest, it's easy for me to get so distracted on on the events, the politics of the day, that I can lose my focus on God and the mission that he gives me, that he gives us. Jesus didn't want his disciples to be distracted and led led astray by false teachers. Even when these wars and, and famines came, the disciples were continuing to preach the gospel, to love their neighbor, to make disciples. Even when it seemed like the world was turned upside down. Even then, stay focused on the mission. I think for me, part of the the craziness of this world right now and the way it affects me is that it's so overwhelming. I can really quickly get discouraged and think, you know, it's just too much. Like, what can I do about a global health crisis? Like, what can I do? What can I do about the, the, the messed up U.S. politics? What can I do about 400 years of racial inequality? It feels so overwhelming to me. And then I remember the mission that God gives his church. The great commandment. Love God, love others. Okay, that's something I can do. To treat my my neighbors with kindness and compassion and intentional care That's something I can do. To pray regular for those around me who are hurting. To engage a deeper way in my church family. To advocate for social and political change in my circles. To share Jesus with those around me. Those are things that I can do if I stay focused on the mission. If I stop getting distracted. Y'all, sometimes I just need to put down my phone as I'm scrolling through my social media feed. i got to put it down. It's distracting for me. Very rarely do I look at social media or read the news for that matter. And we got to read the news. I'm not, I'm not telling you to, to be illiterate. You, you got you to stay engaged with what's going on. But very rarely do I engage with news and come back encouraged. Very rarely. But I'll tell you what. When I engage with the word of God, his life-giving word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword, I come away encouraged. And I come away challenged. And I come away focused. Got to stay focused. But secondly, we got to stay strong to persevere through pain and struggles. Look at verse 9. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in the synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. Jesus is promising his disciples that pain is coming for them. Verse 12. Brother will deliver brother over to death and father his child and children will rise up against parents and have them put to death and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. 
Now, God doesn't pretend like all is good. I like that about the Bible. God is very clear about the reality of pain and suffering. One of the things that I've learned in life is I've learned not to trust people who aren't willing to give me the whole truth. If I'm talking to somebody and they're only willing to give me the good, I I have a tendency not to trust that person. I I feel like they're, they're must be wanting to sell me something or they want me to do something or they want something from me. Now tell me the whole truth. Give me the good, bad, and ugly. The Bible gives us the good news and the bad news. God is willing to give us the bad news. And especially in the end times in which we are living, there will be pain and struggle. Let's just accept it as a part of life. Not that we don't work to change it. Yes, we do. But we also have to accept that there is struggle in life. This is true for everyone, right? Even non-Christians. They live in a fallen, broken world. Everyone who is born is born into a broken world. There is sickness and death and injustice and betrayal. All those things exist for everybody. But for the Christian, on top of those problems, you've got persecution and rejection and marginalization. And in addition to that, Jesus tells you day by day to put to death yourself, your sinful desires. Every day we are taught by our Savior to crucify our sinful desires. This is a life of pain. And for many Christians throughout the church, this persecution meant severe consequences, bodily harm, and even death. Like That's part of our legacy as Christians. We have fathers and mothers who went before us. And when they said, I follow Jesus... That was their death sentence. This is part of our our legacy that we are inheriting. There are courageous women, courageous men who have gone before us. Jesus says that's normal. That's normal. It's helpful for me to, to think about our nation in terms of the religious persecution that you and I face today, in this in this day, in this year, as an anomaly, right? This is not normal. Normally, the church gathers under threat of violence. That's normal. Throughout the world today, that's normal. Throughout history, that's normal. The the, the religious freedoms that we enjoy today as Christians, and there's limited and it's complicated, but in general, the freedoms that we enjoy in this country, they are out of the norm. And so I say that because I talk with some Christians and they're so worried about where the government's going, right? And it's not that we don't pay attention to that. Of course we do. But like, like if, if we become more persecuted as a people, as Christians, if we become more persecuted, then we are actually entering into the club of what most Christian men, women, and children have faced throughout the history of this church. That's normal. Jesus is honest about the pain that his disciples will face. God is honest about the pain that that you and I can expect in this world, in our families, and within our own hearts. God is so clear about this pain, but he also says, in the pain, I am with you. In the pain, I am doing something. In the pain, you're never alone. 
right? Jesus gives these words to his disciples before he, before he uh, ascends into heaven, before he's crucified and then is resurrected and ascends into heaven. As he's leaving the disciples, he, he warns them about pain and he also warns them that he will never forsake them, never abandon them, never will they be alone. And we even see this alluded to in, in verse 11, right? In the midst of the pain and trials and suffering of persecutions that are gonna happen to the disciples, Jesus says, do not be anxious beforehand when they bring you to trial and when they deliver you over. Don't be anxious, but whatever is given you in that hour, that are you are to say, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. Jesus is saying, look, as you're persecuted, I'm with you. As you're suffering, I'm with you. As you're facing injustice, I am with you. And I am advocating for you. And I am protecting you. You are not alone. And again, I'm not talking about the reality of pain in this world so that you will just simply accept it and not do anything about it, right? Like when I have physical pain, I take some Tylenol, right? When there is injustice in the world, we fight to correct it. But part of being a good fighter is being willing to endure hardships, right? Soldiers have to go into war knowing that there is going to be blood. They got to they got to know that they're going to get hurt. So to be a follower of Jesus Christ in this world. To preach the gospel, to love our neighbors, to to advocate for injustice, to be agents of mercy and compassion, we have to be willing to suffer. Be strong. Y'all, the gospel demonstrates this better than anything else could. Like, the, the, the God in the Bible gives us so many examples of suffering so that we will know what to expect. He gives us the book of Job so, so, that, so that men and women today, like you, you may be struggling with suffering and asking the why question, how could a good God allow this? Every honest Christian throughout history that has faced suffering has in some way, shape, or form asked that question, why God? Job did. King David did as he was writing the Psalms. But as good as the Psalms are, as good as Job is, Jesus on the cross is the perfect example of injustice and suffering. Jesus was completely perfect. Had done nothing wrong his entire life. His entire life was characterized by holiness and love. By mercy by going to the broken, by going to the needy and providing for them by speaking the truth about his father. That was his life. And he was crucified. He was humiliated. He was broken. He was rejected. He was laughed at. Why? To show us what love is. Perfect picture of love. God the Father looking at us as children in our brokenness, in our suffering, in our pain, in our sin. Knowing that unless someone, in this case him, unless someone does something about that sin, we're all going to hell. So 
So God, in his perfect love, sent his beloved son, Jesus. Second person of the Trinity, God made flesh, sends him to suffer so that you don't have to. And so to the extent that you do suffer in this world, it's redemptive suffering. It's not pointless suffering. He suffered ultimately God's wrath on the cross to keep that wrath from you. So you never have to touch that. And so, in this life, when you face suffering, and you do, there is hope with that. Because you know God is doing something good. That brings us to our last point, be hopeful, right? We must, if we're going to be ready, if we're going to endure through the end, if we're going to endure through these end days, we've got to be strong. We've got to be focused. We've got to be hopeful too. In the middle of pain and discouragement, I'll tell you my tendency is to give up hope. Become cynical and jaded. Just give up. But God does not allow us to do that. It's not to minimize the pain. But even in the midst of the pain, God does not allow us to give up. Look at the end of verse 9 and verse 10. Jesus is talking about all the suffering that these disciples are going to endure. And it actually happened, right? Like he's just not talking. He knows what's going to happen. But as the disciples are bloodied, thrown in jail, beaten, whipped, put to death. As this is happening, here's what's happening as well. These things happen to bear witness before all of them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all the nations. When Peter suffered and died, when Paul was murdered, When James was beheaded, God was doing something. It wasn't empty. It wasn't just grief. It was grief with a purpose. First of all, you better believe God was with every single family member who suffered because they lost a loved one to martyrdom. God was with them. He was sustaining them. He was encouraging them. He was walking with them and caring with them, bearing them up. And he was also using it. The suffering of the saints grew the church. Y'all, there's always hope. There's always hope. When you and I suffer well, when we focus on the Lord, when we persevere, when we remember God's faithfulness in the midst of suffering, there is hope. God is doing something with that suffering. And the gospel is being proclaimed. Now people are watching. People are watching us and how we respond to suffering in this life. And as you suffer, that is a wonderful opportunity to give witness, to be a witness, to testify in that moment to the goodness of God despite everything that you're facing. The gospel moves forward. So there's hope. Let's remember just for a second what the gospel is. 
The gospel is the good news that anyone, this is true of you, this is true of me, anyone who believes in Jesus is forgiven. All shame is taken away. All guilt is taken away. There is no condemnation for you anymore. You're free. You are being made whole. Because of Jesus, because of the gospel, you have a Father who loves you always, unconditionally, and is there for you. You have a family who is there for you. Christ Central, I hope you appreciate your fam here today. Because of Jesus, because of the gospel, you have a future. There is purpose. There is meaning even in pain. And all of these blessings, all of these gifts, all of this good news comes to you only because of what Jesus Christ did. Only if you hear and receive. Only if you confess and humble yourself. Follow Jesus. If you will then he gives you life and joy and peace and comfort. So as you think about how great the gospel is, think about how great it is that the gospel continues to advance into new places in this world. I love to think about new children, new women, new men, new families, who because of the grace of God and the power of his spirit are drawn out of darkness into light. Praise God. Jesus tells us that when one sinner repents, heaven throws a party. Right? One. Are we celebrating the good news of new men and women, new children, being brought into the family of God? Do we pay attention to the stories, the testimonies of when this actually happens? And do we have eyes of faith to believe it's happening today? In Charlotte, in this country, and around the world. Yo, God is at work. The gospel is going forward. And y'all, one day he's coming back. One day he's coming back. I'm going to close with these, these words, jumping down to the end of Mark 13. Jesus says this, But in those days after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then, And then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. Y'all, there is always hope. We're living in the end of times. And life is hard and it's overwhelming. And if you feel that way, know you're not alone. Jesus himself knew that you would feel that way, and so he gives you these words. But y'all, in it all, brothers and sisters, stay focused. Please stay focused on the gospel and our mission to love our neighbors. Y'all stay strong. Persevere. Don't give up. And keep the hope. Because God's doing a good work. And one day he's coming back. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your words of life. I thank you for your words of hope. I thank you for the gospel. Lord, all of us have no business 
being before you because of our sin, and yet because of your grace, you invite us. Because of your grace, we have access to you, our Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you for the good news, even in the midst of crazy times. Even in the midst of crazy times, you're doing a good work. Help us, weak and frail, to stay focused. Help us to stay strong and help us to stay hopeful. Not because of anything in us, but because of who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.